Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is where it happens on the web. ClarkDeals.com is where you get the bargains. And speaking of Clark Deals, instead of having a Clark Rage today, there are a number of deals I want to make you aware of. So we're going to do a sizzling deal moment instead of a Clark Rage coming up in just 20 minutes. And later this hour, why did that not exist, this not exist, when my kids were in an age they could benefit from it? There's a new online safety course for kids. It is absolutely, in a word, awesome. And I'm going to explain how it works and how you make sure your kids are up to speed with this safety course. I want to talk about something that is a clear and present threat to us in the United States and other allies in the Western world, Australia, Canada, the Europeans. Apparently, the Russians have developed what is known as Indestroyer. It is a software, a virus, a malware that can destroy the power grid in the United States or any other country among the many in the world that the evil dictator Putin wants to rain chaos and havoc on around the world. And this is not some kind of lab rat experiment People in the power industry behind your and my backs are really frightened by the sophistication of this, where the Russians apparently have the ability, with very little effort, to at least temporarily take us into full darkness across much of the Western world. This is the kind of thing that is like an apocalyptic kind of thing, if you think about how much we do that depends on electricity. And the power industry has never really set up its systems based on that kind of sinister evil. But gosh, how often in modern times have we dealt with someone as evil as Vladimir Putin? So what I want you to think about, what I want you to know is I don't want you to be anxious about this. I don't want you to be upset. I want you to do what any good Boy Scout would do, and that's be prepared. You know, if there's a storm in your area and the power goes out, you deal with it, right? And it's something that comes unexpected, and it's inconvenient, and it's a hassle. But you don't know that the storm is going to knock the power out. This is a case in many ways like that. We now know that the ability exists for the Russians to put us into blackout to some degree, if not some level close to total. And so as individuals, we need to have basics prepared do you have flashlights that work my teenage daughter 
was making fun of me the other day because I was going for a walk in the dark. Something you don't know about me is I have an obsession with making sure that I walk or run or exercise a total of eight miles a day. And the other day I was short of steps, and so I got a flashlight to go walking. But the flashlight is one of those with the turn crank, so I never need to worry about batteries or the batteries burning out. And she thought this was a riot and put this on Instagram, her cheap dad cranking this flashlight to get power. I hope you got a lot of laughs out of that, honey. Anyway, so I've got a bunch of those flashlights that I bought at a dollar store for, you guessed it, a dollar each, and we're prepared with that. We have a supply of water, and we have non-perishable food. I'm not a survivalist. Don't think I've, I've got like four years food buried in the backyard, my gold bars hidden somewhere. That's not me. But it's just logical to me that the unexpected happens. So I'm prepared in any of a number of ways for something that would be a potential serious inconvenience. We have a supply of firewood in the event of, you know, winter, if it's cold and there's no heat. I mean, I've done these kind of things and nothing crazy. I mean, I do have strong libertarian instincts, but I don't have that whole crazy kind of thing going on. I hope not. So I just encourage you because you never know where the threat is going to come from to take the most basic of precautions. Having some food, having some water, having flashlights. Uh, those things to me are so basic and so simple, but they help you be prepared for a circumstance that could be a pain. And so just think that through. On the other part of that goes back to the computers. We know how successful people have been with the viruses and all the rest. And there's something that people are getting a chuckle out of that if you think about how sinister it is, it's amazing. All right, so hackers have figured out how to send emails to CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the United States and the world. And they do it on the weekend. And the CEOs think they're getting an email from someone who they know and trust in their organization, but they're actually corresponding with a hacker. Our systems are vulnerable. You think about these big companies with their big IT departments and all that and their security departments. If they can so easily be hacked, what about you and me? And this is why I want you to do the external hard drive that I talk about, where you buy a cheap external hard drive, back up your data, does it automatically every night, and that way, if something happens, maybe you just have a catastrophic failure of your computer. It just croaks. So you haven't lost any of your, your data because you have the hard drive backup. People that are truly paranoid about this do a double backup. 
They do the external hard drive they have at home, and they save their data with a cloud service. It's your choice. Take no precautions. Maybe life will work out just fine. Don't worry. Be happy. My attitude is prepare so I don't have to be worried and I can hopefully be happy. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you. Do you remember that song from years ago, Don't Worry, Be Happy? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do. It's really cute. The rent's late. Don't worry. Be happy. It goes on like that. I'm not going to sing anymore. That's dangerous. <laughs> What's going on, John? Well, I recently retired and uh, have, have some free time. And uh, we keep getting offers from credit card companies and, and banks, you know, to start a new account and spend so much, uh, you know, spend $1,000 the first three months and get $200 back. And we've never carried a credit card balance probably in the last uh, four or five years. We use credit cards a lot just for the just for the money back, but uh, I was wanting to know when you can have too many credit cards and, uh, you know, if there's such a thing as too many credit cards or bank accounts. And uh, All right, so I, there are a lot of people right now because there's a reward card war going on, and there are a lot of people that are getting cards left and right, and it's such a common practice right now with the mileage wars going on from the card issuers that... Uh, Chase, which is one of the largest issuers of cards in the United States, now has a rule that if you've taken out five credit cards in, I forget how many month period, they will not approve you for another card, even if your credit score is sky high. And so this is something going on, but but you're not going to apply for five cards in the next couple of months, are you? Well... I, if there's free money, I don't, I don't know. You know. All right. So you said you want this to travel, right? Well, with this this particular card is one that was two hundred dollars for. We we have Discover. I'm sorry, didn't mean to. Oh, that's we fine. Several, we have, we have what do you get cards. from Discover? Do you get a good reward from them? You know, they they offer the different ones per quarter per month. You know, one month you get three to five percent on something. So we. We manage all that. We have another card that we get five percent back on gas, and you know. I but uh, the thing that intrigued me about this card was if you spend a thousand dollars, you get two hundred dollars back. You have to spend, I think, it's either five hundred or thousand dollars in the first uh, three months, and you get two hundred dollars back. So that all right. Was- so let me give you another one that's out there. For people that are interested specifically in travel, which you're not, but I just got to mention it while I'm thinking about it, British Airways has a Visa card that if you sign up for it right now and you hit their charging targets, you get 100,000 bonus points just for getting the card and using the volume on it they want you to use. That's a lot of points to get just for getting a new card. It has a high annual fee that is not waived the first year. It's like $90, $95, something like that. But it's a great sign-up bonus. But really, that would only be if you enjoy traveling. The cashback card offers you're getting, you should be grabbing them. If you've got a great credit score, you pay your balance in full, just keep getting the reward cards as they come available 
because there are so many. And there's a website I'd like you to look at, John, called creditcardtuneup.com. You go to creditcardtuneup.com and put in your particular charge pattern. They'll be able to show you the card or combination of cards that will earn you the most reward money or points or whatever it is each year. And so I love that for you to be able to get the best deal possible. And this is the time to do it if you have a good credit score and you pay your bills in full. Don is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Don. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for the invite. Sure, Don. You have a suggestion to prevent scam calls. Tell me about this. Well, it's just about uh, setting up a family code word. So when, uh, say, I mean, in the unlikely event that you got a ransom call or a bail-me-out-of-jail call, um, you just ask the caller for the family code name or word, and if they don't have it, they are trying to scam you. If they have it, you should feel uh, safe to, to go on. That is ingenious. That is fantastic because so many particularly uh, grandmoms and grandpops have been ripped off by con artists who have figured out because of social media they figured out the names of family members and they'll call and they'll pretend that they're somebody's grandson or granddaughter and they're in trouble or they're hurt or whatever and that they need money right now and I don't even know how many hundreds of millions or billions have been stolen in this scam. Your idea is fantastic. Did you come up with this on your own, Don? I'd like to say I did, but I heard it somewhere a while back, and I don't know where I heard it. All right. Well, I want to thank you for passing on this suggestion because it's top drawer. I love it. Thank you very much. I do know that uh, I have dealt with two banks that have code words for identification. Oh, so when you call in, they ask what's your what's your secret code word or whatever. Yes, yeah, that's and, a that's a great idea as well. And I know with um, security companies, burglar alarm companies, they all have a code word that you give that's beyond just your name, so they can truly verify your identity. What a good idea! This is the time of year that there usually aren't a lot of bargains out there. People are busy doing whatever they're doing as summer is pretty much underway around the country. But for some reason today, there seem to be a number of deals of various types. So I thought instead of doing a Clark Rageous moment, I'd hit you with some of the sizzle that's out there. So what is out there? Well, first, I want to make sure I recognize teachers because I meant to do this last week and I didn't. Krispy Kreme is offering free coffee to teachers for June and July. All you have to do is show your school ID. You buy a donut from Krispy Kreme, you get the free coffee. And what a great caloric way to say thank you to you as a teacher. And today at Taco Bell and today only, we did this last year as a web thing. Joel and I and Karis from our deal site went to Taco Bell and we got free Doritos Locos tacos 
at Taco Bell. You get one free, and I had the nacho cheese. What did you have last year? I think I had the Cool Ranch version. And did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was pretty I, good. I like the nacho cheese a lot. And so that's enough for your stomach. There is a new sale from Southwest. Last week, Southwest had a great sale for the back half of summer all the way to mid-December. And so they did another version of it starting today. You buy today, tomorrow, Thursday. And on it, the fares generally are $10 higher than last week's because, well, you procrastinated, so you still get the deal, but a little more money. There are some great deals on electronics today and cell phones. Go to ClarkDeals.com to see everything that's available right now. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website, and you can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I have a young son who's a middle schooler, and he plays a lot of these online games where people are in the, in the game, and they don't know who all is playing it. And a lot of the people are guys in their 20s and 30s. And then there will be young kids, mostly boys, playing these games. And I read a story recently about how awkward it is where, let's say, some of the uh, adults playing a game will be using foul language or whatever. And then somehow somebody will say, hey, you know, there's like a 10-year-old on this right now. And it's like, oops. And so there's a lot of stuff going on on the internet where people of a variety of ages at different stages of life are in those games. And the internet presents so much content, a lot of which is not safe for a young child. And this has been a frustration of mine having three children at different stages of life, we have been through interesting conversations at different times with my now adult daughter when she was younger. And to give you an idea how generations are compressed, she used to spend a lot of time on the internet when the big website to go to was MySpace. Remember that? A lot of people are like, MySpace, what's that? It was, it was like, of its era, it was the Facebook of its era. Remember that Facebook? Someday, people may say, remember that thing called Facebook? Anyway, so teaching kids of various ages what things you've got to be aware of on the internet is a haphazard thing and difficult for us as parents. So there's a new educational campaign that has just launched, Be Internet Awesome. And it's a number of groups have gotten together with lessons designed for kids in my son's age range, 8 to 12. 
because roughly in the third grade, second to third grade, is when a lot of boys and girls have essentially unfettered access to the internet. Up to that point, parents tend to control more. They may have kids on like an Amazon tablet that has tight kids controls or whatever. But then sometime midway through elementary school, the kids start breaking loose and having a lot more internet access. So there's a lot of stuff that the kids, well, kids are not going to be prepared for and be naive about. And so the programs available as part of Be Internet Awesome is all about you making sure that your kids have the knowledge necessary to be aware of the pitfalls and problems that could come their way on the internet. There's also a new curriculum for teachers for starting this fall that's called the Digital Citizenship and Safety Course that is free. There's a game for kids that Google helped these organizations develop called Interland, I-N-T-E-R-L-A-N-D, and this game, hopefully in a fun way, teaches your kids about the ins and outs of being safe online. So we'll make sure in our show notes we give you good links for these things, but I wish that this, I'm looking at it right now, and it's a very, very easy-to-use resource, Interland is, and we'll have the links for you. There's also the click in the upper right-hand corner with the resources available to teachers and to um, family life pastors at churches to be able to run courses for the kids, the younger kids in the congregation to teach them good internet practices. And uh, I don't know exactly how to broach this subject, but parents, you also have to be aware that sometime in middle school, kids, particularly boys, are going to start discovering adult content, whether by accident or because a friend will show them something, and I know it's a conversation you'd rather avoid with your kids, but avoidance is not a good idea. You have Don't look the other way as a parent. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hello, Clark. How are you today? Great, thank you. I hope everything's fantastic in your world. Oh, pretty much. I've got a question for you. I've heard you talk about Chromebooks. And I've, I have two uh, Windows-based laptops I use, one for banking and financial and the other for just tootling around. And one of them is about to die, so I'm going to have to replace that. But I've heard you talk about Chromebooks, and I've done some research on it, and I know it operates on a completely different basis than a hard drive. It's all cloud-based. But I can't find any definitive answer on are these safe, are these safer perhaps, uh, to perform transa- financial transactions on 
than the windows based or are they just as safe? And I really can't find anything that addresses that. Uh, everything that I have heard and read and I believe is that Chromebooks are far safer for financial transactions than MacBooks or Windows-based computers. Okay. And the reason is the way they're designed from the ground up is that they are not trying to fight off viruses because the way the systems operate, there's no real place, at least nobody's ever figured out that I've heard of, to get viruses to reside on a Chromebook, where it's pretty easy for the hackers to get viruses on a Windows-based computer or a MacBook. Okay. So I I actually do that. I'm all Chromebook now. Um, I do... uh, I travel with a Chromebook. In fact, when I got a Chromebook, I had always traveled with a MacBook Air. And then I got a Chromebook, and I never used my MacBook ever again. Well, that's that's a pretty strong recommendation. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I went from when I got that Chromebook, they were expensive. It was about two hundred dollars for it. Uh huh. And my my MacBook Air had been nine hundred, a thousand, something like that. And I find the Chromebook experience to be vastly superior to the MacBook Air. Okay. Now, in terms of of doing financial transactions, what I do, Chris, I have a Chromebook that I only use for bill pay, banking, and brokerage. Okay. I don't do email on it. I don't do any web surfing at all. Okay. I segregate it only for those purposes. But a techie called and said that I was missing a step in the process of making my life safer with a Chromebook. So let me tell you what what they explained on the air, and I hope I'll do an adequate explanation. Do you use Gmail? Yes. The suggestion given was that for if you do a segregated Chromebook for your uh, financial stuff, is that you do a separate Gmail address that is for that Chromebook. Okay. So that that Chromebook is completely segregated in your life. Because a Chromebook, when you bring them alive, they have to be brought alive with a Gmail email address. Right. So if you do a separate one, then even if a crook infiltrates your life in some way through Gmail, they don't know this other Gmail. Okay. Now, one more question. Uh, I use a password wallet for my Windows-based computers. Does Google have an app for a password wallet, or will I have to just write those down and and get back to henpecking those in when I go to a site? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) How's that for an answer? No, that's fine. Hey, that's that's an answer. All right, now I got something else for you at uh, ClarkDeals.com. Okay. I have a section on Chromebooks and the deals going on right now on them. Oh, great. Okay. Because I haven't purchased one yet. I'm just trying to get up to stuff, and I've looked a little bit, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. So if you buy a Chromebook just for the uh, financial kind of stuff, uh-huh. you can buy just the absolute base model Chromebook, which is, I think, two gigs of 
RAM on it. Okay. But if you decide at some point to buy a Chromebook for everyday use, it's got to be beefier and a little more expensive. You need a minimum four gigs of RAM. Yeah, I'm seeing some of the newer ones have, I think, up to 16 or 32 of RAM. I know they're a little more pricey. Right. But I've noticed that's kind of that's kind of the new trend with those is getting a little bit more RAM available. There. The reason is is that Chromebooks are becoming the dominant computer in the country and have totally taken over the education market in the United States because for school systems and independent private schools and religious schools, the uh, the back office support for the Chromebook is almost no cost compared to the enormous labor-intensive work that's involved if a school system or school district or private school, religious school, uses a MacBook-based system or a Windows-based system for the students. It's just so much more efficient in every way for the schools to convert to Chromebooks. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brian. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Brian. You're thinking of doing a radical career change. Is that true? Yes, it is. The environmental industry for about 10 years and I've uh, been laid off and looking to change and get to the business. I, I lost you after you said you got laid off in the environmental industry. What did you uh, yeah, say you were interested at, in doing? I'm looking at getting into the travel agency business. Well, um, you know, that's a business I was in a million years ago. Not quite a million. 30 plus years ago. <laughs> and it was so fun, I can't even begin to tell you. Yep. But if you're yeah, looking to make fun. money, if you're looking to make real money, forget it. <laughs> I mean, at this point, uh, my my wife is pretty much the, the breadwinner in the family, so I'm a, a part-time musician, so I'm looking to um, kind of, at this point, supplement um, what, uh, you know, one can with the, for the, um, for, from the music industry where I, where I can't and then also to allow us to you know our me my wife and our family love to travel too so kind of a best of both worlds kind of thinking well i know there's a lot of stuff floating around on the internet about how you can become an instant travel agent and that's all yep. a bunch of hooey mm-hmm. if you really want to become one you do need to go to a school for travel and tourism or a school specifically mm-hmm that trains you to be a travel agent and there's a level of expertise for someone who is a real bona fide travel agent called a CTC. Yeah. And my suggestion, if it's something you're considering doing, is go interview near where you live, interview for information, a couple of travel agents that are CTCs and ask them about the business and would they do it again and what was their path to get the education they needed to become an agent and really yeah. hear what it's like being one. Right, right. And uh, and it's something that travel is in my blood and I just adore doing it, talking about it, anticipating it um, and 
if you're that kind of person, it could be a great thing for you. But make sure first that the day-to-day is what appeals to you because there's a lot of clerical to it, a lot of detail, and it's some of that work is a little bit dry. So that's why you want you to talk to somebody who's done it, who is doing it, who's well-trained, and get advice and guidance from them. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. Who are you helping out today, Joel? Clark, we're helping Jeff. He says, Clark, can you please recommend a printer that is low cost to buy and to run? I only need a printing function, and I'd like the option of printing in color from time to time. So I can't give you one that does both of those things, except you may find some of those old discontinued Kodak printers that I've seen at some of the Sam's Clubs where they have old inventory. The printers are available at the Sam's I saw for $55, and they print black and white in color. The ink is very cheap. The Kodak printer is a discontinued line. They are not the most reliable printers in the world, but they are a deal. If you want to move away from all those compromises I named, you want an Epson EcoTank. These printers tend to be around $250, but the ink, both black and white in color, is basically almost free. They come with a two-year supply of ink. The additional ink you might need from time to time costs nearly zero. And now brother is responding as well and is offering some printers that you pay real money for the printers but you also um, pay virtually nothing for the ink so it is a new trend in the business all right clark and tina had a comment she says one quick comment on giving gift cards i agree that fees and the risk of retailers uh, going out of business are awful but people can use good old-fashioned checks and you can stop a payment if it gets lost Give somebody a gift by check. I never even thought about that. Interesting. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. I'm so glad to welcome you here to The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you. I want you to learn ideas from me that you'll be able to stretch that wallet of yours so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. Clarkdeals.com is where you get the savings. Coming up a half hour from now, wow, I got some very interesting info for how you, without breaking a sweat, can increase the financial comfort in your life. I'm really looking forward to sharing some info with you in just 30 minutes. I want to talk about something that I have been into forever, and I'm so into it I fail to realize that a lot of people, in fact, it turns out by a survey that was done by the Consumer Federation of America, most people have no idea how much money you can save with a very simple change in your life. What I'm about to tell you, two-thirds of people are not aware of at all. If you take a lamp in your home, any lamp in your home, 
and you take out the bulb that's in that lamp, a traditional bulb, what is called, I guess, an incandescent, and you, in its place, put in what's typically a $2 bulb now, an LED bulb, that that $2 bulb will save you, a typical person, $80. Eight zero. You spend two and get back 80. Now you tell me where you can go and get a 40 to 1 payback. I mean, maybe at the track, but I went to horse racing once and didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But anyway, this is not something that you have to buy a lottery ticket for. You don't have to gamble for it. It is a guaranteed return on your money. Now, LED bulbs, I remember. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I do uh, a lot of TV and been a reporter for 27 years. And so I did a story when the first LED bulbs came out. And the LED bulb... We paid 60-some-odd dollars for it. And so I wanted to test it. You know, I won't take any product for free, no samples for free. I want to spend money so I'm never beholden to anybody. It was really funny because I got to show it wasn't ready for prime time. So we had one light with a traditional bulb, with the other with the $60 LED, and it was pitiful. The light from it was awful. Today, you can go buy an LED bulb. You don't even have to break a sweat to buy one for a lamp for $2. And it uses so little electricity compared to a traditional light bulb. And a bad one, even a bad one made from some contract manufacturer in China or whatever will last 10 years. A good one will last over 20 years. Traditional bulb, you got to replace them. They may be 50 cents. you got to replace them over and over and over again. And then the electricity they use, it's like nothing on the LED bulb. They use one, is it one-seventh the electricity? One, yeah, one-seventh of the electricity, which is where the real savings are. So just simple math, Every bulb you change out, just figure it's going to save you $80. That is a deal. And if you're a warehouse club customer, you can buy these big multi-packs of replacement bulbs, and often you'll find them $1.50 each, and then instead of saving $80, you're saving $80.50. In other words, the saving on the bulb, buying it, It's not nearly as important as the saving on the light. In fact, I was making fun of producer Kim, who for floodlights paid twice what she could have paid for them if she would have been a warehouse club shopper instead of just clicking like a, a, what do we call you, a drone at Amazon? What's, What's the term we'd use for that? Like a robot you just bought overpriced ones at amazon.com yeah okay 
And so it was wrong that I made fun of you because even though you paid twice what you should have for that bulb, it's irrelevant because the relevance is the electricity you are saving on that floodlight, which will be about $150 per bulb in electricity savings that you'll have over the years of it. And so the cost for the bulb up front is not meaningful. All right. I feel better. Okay. You look so embarrassed when you told me that you wasted all that money on Amazon. There are things that are a deal on Amazon, but more often than not, Amazon is more expensive than other places to buy stuff. Thomas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Thomas. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you, Thomas. You have a question for me about something you're considering doing? Uh, Yes, I'm looking for something to supplement my income. I work off shift, so I'm awake early in the morning, and um, I'm looking for something to make a little extra money, and I came across this uh, advertisement, I guess it would be called, and now I keep receiving the emails uh, to sign up for this pay for my information type thing in order for me to test apps and make money doing it. <laughs> I'd say take a nap. Instead of trying to pick up extra money with this, because all you're going to do is lose money. I figured anything you have to pay for to try to make more money is usually a scam, and anything that seems too good to be true usually is. Yeah, this one is really, really one that disturbs me, because it promises that you're going to make all this money as a tester, but then they want you to pay money, and then they go on to say in their um, terms of service, that that any claims of actual earnings are not typical. So after they've done all the pitches about how much money you'd make, they then disclaim it and say that's not what's really going to happen. <laughs> and I got to thank producer Joel for finding that on the fly while you and I are talking. And I'm not going to name this one because they have not been named in any civil or criminal investigations yet. Okay. Emphasis on yet. Yeah. But I'll tell you that uh, where you're told you have to pay money to then make money in this manner is completely bogus. Okay. Now, I do have a small number of legit work-at-home things listed on a work-at-home guide on Clark.com, but none of them are going to make you any kind of big money. They'll allow you some amount of supplement to your income. Okay. But you said you're working graveyard shift? Uh, actually, I'm working second shift. Oh, okay. 3 to 11.30, but I have a bad habit of staying up till 3 a.m. Well, it's, it's hard. You know, it's hard when you work that shift to unwind and just suddenly go to sleep. The people who can do that, I'm so jealous of. Yeah. So I usually come home and take a shower, and then I'm wide awake. Well, I mean, you know, it's just a fact that for you, 
coming up with something you could do in those hours that would generate some money. That's a great idea. And they don't have a lot of people willing to do things like I've got some opportunities on my guide where you're doing um, call center work from your home. And there aren't a lot of people willing to do it that time of night, but the need is there that time of night. So you might find that might be a good way for you to supplement some income. Okay. So best to you, and I'm glad you asked me before you got involved with these clowns. And the time will come where I'll feel comfortable naming them because uh, the hate on them by other people who got conned by them on the web is pretty strong, but I'm not quite ready to stick my neck out there and name them. Nick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nick. How you doing? Hey, Clark. How are you? I'm doing really well. So you got some great baseball players there? Uh, well, I'm not uh, uh, at this point uh, have any plans to stop funding my co- my kids' college fund. I can tell you that. Okay. We get a Division One scholarship. So he's uh, he, he's a great kid. And I love him, but uh, baseball is pretty much just for fun at this point in his life. Well, baseball, you know, when we used to get picked for intramurals as kids, yeah, that was the sport I was always the last person picked. I just have no ability with that. Other sports, maybe more so, I would be okay. But baseball, they needed me to get some splinters on the bench. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So how can I be of service with your son's baseball career? Well, uh, his Little League team is planning a trip up to Cooperstown um, next year to uh, do a tournament up there. It's a week-long tournament, and uh, that doesn't include travel time. Realistically, I'm not going to be able to take off that much time off for work to spend the whole time off with him. So my plan was to arrange for a ride up there for him, uh, split the cost of gas with another parent, and then towards the end of it, I was going to get a rental car, uh, drive out there, um, and then uh, head down to Manhattan for, you know, three or four days, blitz out of New York City, and then take a flight back. Problem is, is that there is a, uh, a crazy drop-off charge for a rental car where it's three to four times the amount of the rental itself. Yeah, I'm that's very, that's very common. That's very common. So uh, what about the idea of buying a round-trip airline ticket, you said you're going to Cooperstown, right? Correct. So buy a round-trip to New York for you, yeah. and or would you go one way and then ride back with the team? Yeah, n- no, we'd, we'd take a side trip down to Manhattan. Oh, and then you'd both the fly back. Yeah. Correct. All right, so I would say you, you buy a round-trip ticket to New York. Where in the country do you live, Nick? Uh, Milwaukee. Oh, Okay, between Milwaukee and Chicago, you're going to find a deal to New York. Okay. Uh, You know, it used to be the deals were out of Milwaukee. More likely today they're going to be out of Midway, which I know is a bit of a hassle for you. Yeah, a little bit. But if you buy the round trip and then uh, drive up to Cooperstown and then you're going to round trip with a rental car and then you have your time in New York City with your son, that's going to be the most economical way to do this. Excellent. And then you don't have to drive all the way from Milwaukee to New York State. Well, that would certainly save some time for sure. Right. 
And, uh, you know, the time for you off from work is precious. Time with your son is precious. And that's how you would actually potentially likely save money and have more time on your hands. You are a brilliant answer. Oh, I don't know about that. Have you ever driven in the New York metro area? Uh, not as a driver, but as a passenger. Yeah, it, it's it's not. The drivers are not lousy like they are in a lot of other places in the country, but the roads are lousy. Absolutely. So you need to drive it a little bit more cautious and slower speeds till you're sure. up in Westchester County and heading up. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate your insight and, and wisdom in the in the matter. So and I want you, so you to look at google.com slash flights and kayak.com, K-A-Y-A-K.com. Sure. Yeah, and then because of the Milwaukee Midway kind of thing, look at southwest.com. Uh, those three, uh, um, among those three sites, you're going to find a deal for you to get there and to get your son back with you. It's time for Ask Clark. And Joel, what question do you have for us, for Clark, listener? Yeah, we got a question from Linda. She says, what company provides the backbone service for TrackPhone? What a wonderful question. Now, TrackPhone is a company owned by a guy named Carlos Slim, who used to be the world's wealthiest man. He's a Mexican. And TrackPhone owns uh, the one Straight Talk, which is a huge cell phone service. They own Total Wireless and the joint venture with Walmart and Verizon for Verizon service. When you were on a track phone product, you could be on any network. And you can ferret it out a lot of times if you're in a store and there's a track phone unit or a straight talk unit or whatever you're looking at, they will have a map on there and the lingo that's usually the tagline for one of the major cell phone carriers. I'm trying to remember the color coding. Verizon is red. T-Mobile, they do kind of like, uh, they call that magenta or something? I think so. The AT&T, they show is blue. And then for Sprint, they show kind of a yellowish thing on the map. So they'll show a map of the United States and they'll show coverage area. And if you're looking at any track phone phone and you're looking at buying the phone that's a track phone phone the phone itself addresses to a specific network and if you were to google it while you're in a store you should be able to find out based on the phone model and it'll have like a model number which network track phone is running that on you also could call track phone maybe because their customer service is generally customer no service, but you might be able to get someone to say, if you ask them, if I buy this phone, which network is this going to work on? And then you know whether or not it's a network you can handle. Uh, Straight Talk used to be the best deal in cellular in the country. They are not anymore. Check out my cell phone guide at Clark.com. We'll be right back. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. And if you don't want to ask me a question, but you want a question answered, well, we make that easy. 
you can talk with a member of our team and we've been doing this for the last 25 years where you can get free off-the-air advice on your smartphone on clark.com you can just click to call for off-air advice if you're at a desktop or laptop you'll see the number on our main page to be able to call for off-the-air advice the hours available uh, these are eastern time zone times 10 in the morning till 7 in the evening pacific time 7 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon we make free off-the-air advice available to you so i have had a push over the years where when you have access where you work to a Roth 401k instead of a traditional 401k, I have encouraged you to do the Roth 401k. And I've done that over the years, except generally for people who are past their 50th birthday. I put a big push on doing the Roth 401k instead of the regular. And roughly half of us now work places that have a 401k where we have the option of the Roth versus the regular. Well, there's a new study that was done by three professors at Harvard and one at Yale. I didn't know that Yaleys and Harvard people could work together at all, but they did on this, and what they found is fantastic. People who do a Roth 401k instead of a regular traditional 401k, end up with massively more money in retirement. And here's why, and I've a lot of the copy is dry. If you are in financial planning and you want to read it, you can find a copy of the study, and it has far more detail than any normal earthling would want, but I'm going to tell you what you need to know is that the way human behavior is, you may think, well, if I switch from a traditional 401k to a Roth 401k and start putting money in, the traditional, I get a tax break. The Roth, I don't up front. So if I switch, I'm going to have to reduce my contribution, the percent of my pay, that I put into the Roth 401k versus what I was doing in the traditional. Well, that's what you would think. And so then it would be no difference because the 401k, everything you have in it would be tax and retirement. The Roth 401k wouldn't be, but you would have been contributing less. But that's not how humans do things. What the study by the Harvard and Yale professors found was that we when we start contributing to a Roth 401k instead of a traditional, we keep the percent of our pay going in the same. Virtually everybody keeps it the same. So remember this, if you're saving 10% of your pay and you convert from putting 10% of your pay in a traditional and you go instead to do 10% of your pay in a Roth 401k, in retirement, you're going to have a huge amount, effectively, of more money to spend. Because every penny in a traditional 401k is going to be taxed. Reducing, effectively, how much money you have by roughly 
somewhere close to a third. But because you kept contributing the same percent of your pay in the Roth 401k, and somehow you didn't miss it day to day that you had a little less take-home pay, you greatly magnify the amount of money you have in retirement. Because you would think completely rationally somebody would try to bring home the same amount of money, but if they're saving so much money in a 401k, a percent of their pay, they just keep doing that. So even more than I realized before, because it was my hunch and my assumption that that's the way we would behave, but it's exactly how we behave, and it's a sneaky kind of way to get you to do something that will give you enormous benefits later on in life, you end up with more money to live on in retirement. So go ahead. If you're in that half of people with an employer-provided 401k who can do a Roth 401k, do it and don't change that contribution percentage and you're going to be rolling in the money later down the road. Robert's with us. And by the way, if you have trouble sleeping at night, pull up this Harvard-Yale study. And I was thinking of reading one sentence from it to show how dry this stuff is. But I don't want you all to fall asleep while I'm talking. So I'm not even going to read one sentence. Robert's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Robert, glad to have you here. Well, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on the show, Clark. And Robert, you want to talk about something from a different perspective than I addressed it recently, and that's something called uh, no ring voicemail. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I love sure I love the things you do for people, but this is this is one of these times where I think you know an outside perspective kind of can help. I've been in the credit collection industry for several years. And this, this dial-to-voicemail technology is being picked up in a lot of places. Uh, you know, I, I kind of pointed this out in the email I'd sent of that two of the biggest complaints we get in this industry are that we don't leave voicemails and that we call in opportune times. With the, with the dial directly to the voicemail, it, it clearly takes care of the calling during inopportune times because people have the opportunity then to go ahead and take the message and then call us back at a better time for their sake. And as far as the voicemails, you know, with uh, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and CFPB and all that out there, uh, it's very a very gray area as far as leaving voicemails. What we'd love to see in our industry is that, you know, the FCC comes through and allows us for debt collection, and also that the CFPB goes along with that and giving a script that can be used for that, so it helps out everybody. We're, we're able to get in touch with people, and people are able to talk to us about their debts. The other thing, you, you lumped in with debt collections with all these other robocallers, and of course, you know, I hate being called by these robocallers as much as the next guy, but when you're being called by a debt collector, you've already contracted to do business with this company. You're not being cold called. You, you've used a company. There's been money. There was you know, goods or services exchanged, and there's money being owed on the other end, and that's why we're calling. We're not just picking people's names out of a hat like a robocaller does. Now, you know that I was a debt collector is the way I paid my way through graduate school. Do you know that? I actually was not aware of that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, I've been on your side of it, too, although I was doing commercial collections, which is a little different. Actually, it's a lot different than the consumer side because we didn't have to follow any uh, laws or rules about how we did our collection, yeah, which you do with consumers. 
Um, I'm, I'm curious, since you were in the business, what percent of people that you deal with, and this is totally just your subjective answer here, what percent of people are, would like to pay you and you just have to convince them they should versus people who just want to beat a bad debt? I mean, that's a really hard number to estimate. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a good percentage of people that, you know, you run into that have just come on hard times. You know, they may, maybe have a stretch of three, six months where, you know, things got rough, and so now these bills are catching back up to them, and those ones legitimately want to take care of it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the vast, vast majority that are just trying to avoid us or trying to see if uh, we're an agency that litigates is, is what it often comes down to, is a lot of collection agencies no longer litigate. And they know that from other debts that they have. And so a lot of them are just rolling the dice to see whether we'll push it that far or not. So um, I'm trying to get a sense of this because the big complaint I get is about the repetition of calls. You've been at this a long time. I bet you can tell when you're talking to somebody if they're just going to at some point pay you or agree to a payment plan or whatever, or if they're just never going to pay you. Do you get that instinct, and how long did it take you if you do have that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I kind of had the advantage that I came into this industry after, after having uh, helped with repossessions and tracking those down. So I kind of already dealt with some of these situations. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's just one of those ones you, you, you have it or you develop it or you don't make it in this industry. And it, uh, I'd say pretty much walk in the door within six months. I had a really good handle on within the first probably 45 seconds of the phone call, I knew whether I was going to get somewhere or not. And what is, uh, from your perspective, because people, I only hear from people who hate your industry, right? <laughs> you, you and a lot of other uh, bureaucrats. <laughs> but, but that's all I ever hear, you know, are people who, you're not going to believe what this collector did, what the agency did, whatever. So if it's family friendly, what's the worst thing someone's ever done to you being on the other side as you've called them to collect on a debt? Oh, yeah. The family friendly, I, I can't think of too many that were, <laughs> oh. that, that would be family friendly. We'll, we'll put it that way. But I, I can tell you that there's been many times where I've gone home to tell my wife uh, what this person, this person said to me at work and she just cracks up because it's, it's amazing what people will do either when they're back into a corner and they don't know what else to do or if they really don't care. And so they're just going to try to have some fun at your expense. Well, I appreciate your perspective. You know, on the, um, on the, ringless voicemail i think it's an enormous nuisance but it's good to hear your perspective robert about why you think it's actually a preferable way for people to be contacted by a debt collector and we're going to see how this one plays out and we have another robert here robert welcome to the clark howard show and i want to tell you that you're about to have the happiest day of your life followed maybe a few years down the road by another happiest day of your life, the buy and sell of a boat. That's how the saying goes. Thank you, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Robert. Tell me, what kind of boat are you going to get? Well, I'm looking for a uh, just a family boat. We've been looking for a little while now and saving up. Uh, it's about uh, it's a center console, and it purchase price would be about $100,000. Oh! I know. Oh! <laughs> oh! I got to breathe again. 
$100,000? Correct. Oh, my goodness. So my, I mean, my question is, <laughs> in buying a toy like this, is it best to take the cash and just purchase a depreciating asset outright or perhaps buy an investment property and balance out the depreciation with the income from the investment? No, I mean, those are such apples and oranges. I mean, they're not even apples and oranges. They're like apples and lettuce. I mean, they're not even same section of produce. So if you if you like being a landlord, you want to have a rental property, that's its own thing. But if you have the cash, to which is a phenomenal thing, you can just write a check for a $100,000 boat, write a check for it. Okay. Now, on the issue you brought up, rapidly depreciating. So remember what I said, happiest day buy boat, happiest day sell a boat? Boats do drop in value like a rock. When, uh, when I bought a boat, I bought a used one, and I bought it for with very little hours on the motor. I bought it for about 35 cents on the dollar versus new. And so I would encourage you to look to see if you can find a used boat and let somebody else eat that depreciation for you. Christy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christy. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Christy. What's going on in your world? Well, Clark, I'm a newlywed. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And I'm trying to find some life insurance for my husband. I currently have a universal life policy, and I'm just trying to figure out what kind of policy should I get for him. Right. Well, first of all, uh, universal life is not something I'm a fan of. Okay. So I'm sorry you were asking about him, so now I'm going to talk about you for a second. Okay. How long have you had your universal life policy? Since about 2006. All right. Then you likely want to keep it. Okay. You've already fronted a huge amount of money that went to commissions to the agent. So you're at a point that you're going to maybe have that universal life policy start working for you. Okay. But for your husband, I don't want him to go that direction. I'd want him to own something known as a level term insurance policy. Okay. They're ultra, ultra cheap. And guess what those policies do? What do they do? If he dies, you get money. Okay. That's all they do. There's no savings account. There's no investment account. Nothing. And he buys it for a period of time. How old is your husband? 33. All right. So he, at 33, would be a good candidate to buy what's known as 30-year level term, which would provide financial security to you till his 63rd birthday. Okay. The premiums are set, stay the same for the next three decades. And in the uh, unfortunate event of his death in this 30-year period, you would have a benefit of money to help you carry on financially. Can't help you with the emotional side, but it'll help you with the financial side. Okay. Um, What happens after that 30-year period, let's say, if he lives to be 67, 68? Well, that is a problem because at 63, what happens if he's not... Uh, healthy enough to renew a policy or get a new policy Mm -hmm. and that is the problem with a level term policy you can't cover every possibility but one thing you could do is you can buy a policy now Mm -hmm. knowing that over the years inflation is going to make the benefit you get today seem not so generous anyway down the road 
And maybe when he's 40, you buy another 30-year level term policy that stacks on top of the one you've already purchased. Okay. And then you'd have one policy that would be till age 63, another to age 70. Mm-hmm. A big benefit stays in place to age 63. A smaller benefit from age 63 to 70, which is actually okay because the number of years that you would need replacement of income is so much smaller at that point anyway. Okay. But when you buy a level term policy, it's so easy to shop because there's no games, no gimmicks, and you want to buy it at what are known as break points, $250,000 of insurance, $500,000, $750,000 or a million because they're really unbelievably inexpensive policies to buy. And you can shop with a human, with an agent. You can shop online. There are companies you can call a toll-free number and get policy quotes. Very, very easy. And I have a guide to buying level term insurance on my website at Clark.com. Okay, I'm looking at it. I'm going to sign it right now. All right. And again, congratulations on your wedding. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too, Clark. Bye. Hope you enjoyed today's show, and don't forget, if you like deals, our expert bargain seekers have compiled the best deals from around the web just for you. Check them out at ClarkDeals.com.